Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Uh, more importantly, I have the double delight today of welcoming two guests to the podcast, uh, Drs. Ravi Gupta and Kenneth Valpi, uh, who will be speaking on a book called The Bhagavata Purana, Sacred Text and Living Tradition. Also, speaking of double delights, We'll be touching on a related book called the Bhagavata Purana, Selected Readings, all itemized in the podcast notes. Ravi, Kenneth, welcome to the podcast. Thank Great you, here, Raj. <laughs> nice to be now, back. Yeah, I actually had the good fortune of seeing Kenneth in person in uh, the magical land of Dubrovnik for a conference uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And so, so here we are. So... Tell us about uh, tell us about your interest. How did you become interested in the Bhagavata Purana? Maybe even say a bit about the genesis of this particular project. What is the interest in this in this very special Probably. Purana? Why with... don't you start? Hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, Kenneth and I both uh, began our studies in Oxford in uh, 1995. 95? No, 1999. Uh, we yeah. began um, studying there and. And uh, both of our uh, projects were related to our primary field of study, Chaitanya Vaishnavism or Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Uh, and it, that's what we did our dissertations on and, and, and our first books as well. Um, but we, we, we kind of followed a parallel path for quite some years of um, doing an MST together, then a DPhil in Oxford, working on the Gaudiya Vaishnav tradition. Kenneth did it on the ritual aspects of the tradition, and I uh, did more of the philosophical aspects. Um, after we finished there, we thought, okay, what's next? Uh, where do we go from here? And we both recognized that the foundations of our work uh, lay in the Bhagavata Purana. That is the most important text, not just for Chaitanya Vaishnavas, but for many of the North Indian Vaishnav traditions uh, that emerge around the same time. And so it kind of made sense for the second project to be uh, broader, uh, to be more foundational. I think often second projects are of that of that nature. And so that's that's kind of how the, 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 the interest in Bhagavata, I think, uh, I think began. Um, both of us have been readers of the Bhagavata for for um, uh, much time before that, and so we've had a personal love for the text as well, its beauty and its poetry. Uh, but academically, that's kind of how the story emerged—the backstory, as it were. And so, <laughs> tell us a bit about the structure of of the collection of essays. Uh, the structure of the book is. Uh in two parts, essentially. Uh, we have, uh, well, after after introduction, which is helping readers to enter into the, the way the Bhagavata is in the world. Uh, sorry, 
the other way around. Uh, we we have two sections: the the world of the Bhagavata and the Bhagavata in the world. Because one of the special features of uh, this text is precisely expressed by these two phrases. Uh, it is a world unto itself, one might say, and uh, it has had a long history of having extensive presence, extensive, we can say, influence, of course, ma mainly uh, in the Indian subcontinent, but in more recent decades, we can say, um, around the world. So, uh, the book consists of uh, 12 essays, each one focusing on a general theme. Um, we begin with uh, the world of the Bhagavata. So chapter one, which, uh, which I wrote, is on the theme of reading. And then uh, chapter two, Time and Narrative by Rick Jarrow, um, Cosmology by Jonathan Edelman, and then by uh, Gopal Gupta, the, the brother of our Ravi, who is with us, uh, on ethics, like that. And, and then we move into the Bhagavata in the world in part two. And we have uh, a quite intriguing article by Mons Bruch, uh, from Finland on the subject of boundaries, uh, sort of bridging the world of the Bhagavata and the Bhagavata in the world. And then it goes into uh, various artistic expressions in the world. Uh, there's a theme on dance by Catherine Zubko, uh, a theme song by none other than Guy Beck, famous for his work in this area, uh, then recitation by Ilona Vilchevska, um, an ethnographic work. And then finally, text history um, by Ferdinando Sardella and uh, Abhishek Ghosh, uh, telling, tracing some of the history of how this text has migrated out of India to the wider world. So that's basically the the structure. I love the distinction of the two overarching um, parts of of the work in terms of, you know, how I think of it. And when I when I study and teach on narratives, it just so happens that narratives is one of my area. But that's you know, it's neither here nor there for the podcast. But but I I I love to bring to mind to the reader or the student the distinction between the world within the text and the world beyond the text, and 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 yeah. the extent to which they may interrelate or they may not. Um, yeah, whether there are forest hermits doing yagyas in the woods in ancient India, we don't know, but definitely they exist in the literary imagination, etc. And so um, what are some of, how would you characterize maybe the papers of the first part? Are there certain divergences? Are there certain common themes in terms of the world of the Bhagavata itself? Ravi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our... <laughs> our um... I, I think in our introduction, we we highlight some of those common themes that emerge. We 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 use the the particular story, the narrative of the churning of the ocean, which is uh, so foundational for 
uh, South and Southeast Asian uh, traditions um, now and historically. Uh, and we talk about how that narrative weaves its way through the Bhagavatam. Um, and through that narrative, we bring out some of the important themes that our authors do a great job of highlighting and investigating. Um, for example, the importance of kingship and why the Bhagavata is concerned with leadership in this world and, and its effects, uh, both positive and negative effects of leadership. We talk about the idea of Leela, which the Bhagavata is fascinated by endlessly, and how Leela has a certain um, uh, humorous quality to it as well, that the Bhagavata, for all its seriousness and importance as a religious text, um, has uh, a delightful sense of humor where it has the capacity to laugh at itself and, and its subject matter um, also. Uh, we, we bring out um, the importance of time as well and how cycles of time, genealogies, why they are important, uh, what effect they have on the, on the storyline, etc. So some of those themes of the world of the Bhagavata, I think, come out really well. Um, but especially, I think, the polarities that we find in the churning of the ocean between gods and demons and uh, between the, 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 the great serpent's many hoods and its tail and and between the 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 um the the rule of the world by the devas versus the asuras those polarities the bhagavata navigates them uh wonderfully in that account so those themes emerge i think very well in the introduction uh to our book and we try to navigate and introduce the topics that our authors write about there you want to say a bit about why for the bhagavata Purana in particular, you can certainly have a, here's the world within the text, and then here's the vibrant tradition beyond the text. Whereas, you know, I have in the back of my brain to write a book called Mapping Markandeya or something about the Markandeya Purana. And uh, there would certainly not be a section on what's happening beyond the text. And so say a bit about uh, the, the exceptionalism of this Purana with respect to the tr traditions. Oh, um <laughs> There was a little break, so I missed sort of the uh, a key three or four words from you. <laughs> the, the, that's all right. No, it's just a team. Just at the end. We're refined. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, why is it that we can have for this particular Purana a whole section on uh, the living tradition, whereas were I to write a book on the Markandeya Purana or really right. any of the other Puranas, <laughs> we wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I would say a starting point uh, would be the traditional attention to the text, uh, the fact that it has been, uh, there is an extensive commentarial uh, tradition that goes back to uh, at least the 14th century and I believe also earlier, uh, and uh, and this is a kind of side note uh, to the text itself, but this has been uh, instrumental or key to stabilizing the Bhagavata Purana, uh, which is one way of contrasting the text, uh, this Purana, with, as I know, uh, so many of the other Puranas, uh, where 
if you say, I don't know about Markandeya Purana, but if you, if someone says, yes, it, uh, such and such is in the Padma Purana, then the first question has to be, which Padma Purana, <laughs> you know? Uh, but um, this attention by the by commentators is essentially attention by followers of uh, various schools, mainly Vaishnava schools, uh, but we have recently learned uh, that uh, even Shaivites gave their attention to the Bhagavata. Um, and this, in turn, I think, has sort of generated um, out of itself, sort of like a, a centrifugal force uh, to the wider culture in the form of so many artistic expressions. And of course, most of these uh, are uh, drawing, especially from the, the 10th book, which is uh, the famous book. It focuses on Krishna, the life of Krishna specifically. And um, this, this sort of centrifugal force has just, it's just continued over the centuries. Um, and it seems to be accelerating. <laughs> uh, we see in particular in the Bhagavad Kata tradition, you'll see big billboards in, uh, in cities. Of course, especially in Vrindavan, you'll see this, but also, um, you know, in Jaipur, and I guess in Delhi and other places, um, katakars, uh, persons who are uh, experienced reciters of the Bhagavata, they, they seem to be, there seems to be a burgeoning of this. And that's, it doesn't end there. It goes to the internet uh, where, you know, uh, uh, YouTube presentations uh, or recitations are going on um, in ever-expanding numbers of followers, listeners. Was there anything, I realized that um, there are so many papers and it, it's quite a journey to, to edit a volume. Um, but was there anything that particularly surprised you or was impressed upon you through this process? I, I think what surprised me, uh, Raj, was the the amount of pent-up interest in the Bhagavata. I, I remember when we first started thinking about, we conceived of this as a companion to the to the Bhagavata itself, something of an academic guide through the text uh, by drawing out various themes. And, and I recall when we first started inviting people, uh, I was surprised by how quickly people said yes, and, and just how easy it was to convince them that we needed work done on, on the Bhagavata. I mean, before the, the publication of our books, now it's been a few years, but before the publication, we for, for major studies of the Bhagavata, it had been like half a century uh, um, for, for any kind of major publication or book on the text. Um, and, and we recognized that there were a lot of people who were working on the Bhagavata, were interested in it and understood its implications for our understanding of, you know, bhakti traditions, our understanding of 
this uh, period in in Sanskrit literature, um, and yet had no real venue, no community to um, discuss that, to talk about it. Uh, and um, uh, it's it's because of that that once we had these two books published, Kenneth and I said, we really need to keep this going in some way. And so we decided under the auspices of the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies to begin the Bhagavata Purana Research Project, just to take that momentum that had emerged. Um, and, and really, we had only scratched the surface. Uh, uh, how many contributors can you have in, in a volume with your word limit given by the publisher and all of that? We had barely scratched the surface. And and we saw all this interest that came forward once people realized, oh, there's, there's a group of people, there's a community working on this text. Uh, we wanted to tap into that and keep that momentum going. So the Bhagavata Purana Research Project um, is is kind of uh, driven by that inspiration um, and that surprise, really, that we encountered. I'm really glad you touched on the OCHS um, project. <laughs> As probably many of my listeners are aware, I actually have a, um, I'm affiliated with OCHS as a tutor for their continuing studies, online sort of teaching. Um, but I'm well aware, obviously, of all of their various research uh, endeavors that Bhagavata put on a um, project, the Shaktism project, and just uh, yeah, without trying to, I, I, I published two monographs in the Rutledge Hindu Study series that happened to be associated with the OCHS. I didn't yes. even realize that until I started teaching there. So there you go. Um, but no, this uh, I, I love the idea of um, generating interest in it, whatever field that is, whether that's ritual studies or Puranic studies or the Bhagavata Purana. And um, one thing that's crucial to at least my particular way of seeing the world is community and scholarly community. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, one of the things I'm trying to create as we speak is just a way to keep us abreast of what's happening in Purana studies in general. And I think it's so important, inspired by a recent conference in Dubrovnik, of course, um, and the various projects I had no idea existed. And so I, I think it's great that the OCHS was supportive of that project. And um, maybe you can comment on perhaps what's happened since the publication of these books and, and the state of sort of Bhagavata Purana studies and, you know, maybe take the temperature for us at present. What What's happening? Mm. <laughs> well, first I want to say uh, what surprised me in the preparation of this book. And Please. that was uh, the very positive response of the publisher, Columbia University Press. Uh, Ravi, Ravi and I submitted our formal proposal for for this uh, book of of articles, this edited volume, and we pitched it as Ravi said as a companion volume, and they liked the idea, and it looked like they were going to accept our proposal, and then. Uh, we got a message from the acquisitions editor one day that, well, we like your your proposal, but the editorial board uh, is asking a question, namely, where is the Bhagavata Purana uh, for which this is a companion? <laughs> but in the same breath, she answered her question by saying, actually, if you could also publish or uh, prepare a translation, uh, 
we could publish both books as as a pair. And right. that, that came as such a <laughs> surprise to me that uh, I guess it happens that publishers show such eagerness sometimes, but for me, it was it was a happy surprise, and so that's well, what we did. Well, this this bespeaks a number of things. I think it bespeaks interest, uh, the innate interest in these powerful narratives that are captivating and infectious, um, mm. and and it also bespeaks the extent to which anybody endeavoring into Purana studies either has is either courageous or foolish, a bit of both, because. <laughs> Because it's so it's we forget, you know, what you know coming from the outside, where is a text? What has been critically edited? What hasn't been? Do we care about critical editions? Do we not care about critical editions? What's been translated <laughs> when and by by whom? And it's so and this is part of why I want to create this resource so, uh, uh, so we have a yeah. snapshot of what exists in modern languages, what is still being worked out, talking about this come to put on a project, for example, or et cetera, et cetera. We're so in the, the the Puranic woods, as it were, it takes <laughs> an editor to say, wait a minute, where is this text you're talking about? And how do we find it? Right. <laughs> well, great. that question, where is the text that you're talking about? I've, I was just looking uh, yesterday on Amazon and seeing now suddenly there's quite a number of translations whatever the quality might be, but there's a fair number of translations of the uh, Bhagavata Purana in English, uh, you know, just since a few years, I think. Uh, but to your uh, other, um, your, your previous question, what, what has been, what has developed since then? Well, as Ravi said, uh, we have this research project uh, with the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. And I think we both have to admit that um, we are quite busy with our lives in other areas. And so the, the much that we could be doing if we could just drop everything else and focus on this uh, would be unlimited. I mean, the 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 potential for uh, going deeper and deeper into this text, uh, we just see no end. We did have a um, a conference, an international conference in Chennai in the beginning of 2017. Um, and I think that went quite well. And from that, uh, several articles came out, published uh, by the Journal of Hindu Studies, which is also based in Oxford. And also a film came out of that, uh, where we interviewed uh, several of the scholars, and uh, that's available on, on YouTube. Um, <clears throat> we, as you saw, Raj, in Dubrovnik, as you heard, we have also, I should say, Perhaps not we, but uh, in in Pune, uh, Professor Srikant Bahulkar has been leading a group doing an extensive bibliography. I would say um, the aim is to do an exhaustive bibliography on all things Bhagavata. <laughs> um, he he came to present the first volume uh, of what is uh, going to be. 
I don't know how many volumes it's going to end up. So that we consider also as kind of groundwork from which then uh, any number of projects can be developed. I would also say that we get um, we get emails almost every week uh, from uh, people who have come across our website and they say, gee, I want to also be involved. <laughs> I want to, you know, I have this or that qualification and uh, I want to also participate in, in the project. And uh, not everyone, but some of these people we're finding to be very promising. And uh, what we're seeing is, uh, again, sort of an unfolding, uh, sort of blossoming um, process that uh, more and more scholarship can take place. But scholarship, I think, which for us, there's kind of an, a particular interest to make it accessible. Um, scholarship that doesn't just keep amongst the scholars. Uh, you've said the magic word as far as I'm concerned. Part of the reason why I really resonate with New Books Network in this 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 sort of service podcasting gig, if you will, is because I do the same whether I podcast or not and try to render the fruits of our labor accessible to a larger audience for a variety of reasons. I mean, why not have more people in on the conversation? Why not you know, help folks understand what it is we're doing uh, as scholars, and I think it's just a question of. Um, I think that I think perhaps the tides of change in terms of the misconception that the more opaque you are, the more brilliant you must be, <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps it's understood that uh, none of the rigor or care of thought is sacrificed in accessible presentation. As a matter of fact, assuming actually that that care and rigor is present, assuming that to be the case, which it is for most of us, certainly mm -hmm. not all of us, but like the, you know, for most of us, it's there. It's actually, um, to my mind, uh, 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 the, it, it, the next step is explaining it in an accessible manner because that demonstrates a familiarity with it. And it also demonstrates a familiarity with audiences beyond you know, the conference circuit type thing. So accessibility is key as far as I'm concerned for what we do. It may not be for everybody, but I'm glad that there are there are other scholars who are um, who, who share that that value. Ravi, you wanted mm -hmm. to say something? Yeah, I, I, I think I think and, and you've hit upon, I, I think, a central motivation and theme to both of these books that we're discussing on this podcast is we really set out to present um, original scholarship on the Bhagavata, but in a way that could be used um, from all levels, from the undergraduate classroom uh, to uh, to all the way to you know a, a scholar's own research, um, and and Columbia was really a good partner in that process of ensuring that the market for these books was really as broad as possible to ensure that element of accessibility, um, right? So that that all the critical work and the, the end notes and all of that are present, and yet none of them serve to obscure the foundational ideas and make them accessible, even to someone who knows very little about the text. Uh, we don't uh, we don't assume much. Uh, um, we guide readers into each of our authors, guide, guides readers into their subject right from the basics. And with the selected readings text that we did, um, the, the other volume, 
uh, there too, uh, our, the, the way we structured uh, our translation was to um, ensure that readers could enter the sometimes technical world of the text with as much ease and as little need to consult specialized resources um, as possible with then the option of following our suggested readings if they wanted to delve more into the secondary literature surrounding that particular narrative or that particular section of the text. So accessibility was a, it is a key theme for both of these volumes, um, I, I think. I, I also wanted to add one thing to um, uh, Kenneth's discussion of the state of the field uh, and of the project as well. One really bright spot, I think, is the work that um, one section of our Bhagavata Purana project is conducting. This is led by Nirja Podar, um, who is uh, at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And uh, she uh, she and Daniel Enbaum uh, are editing a um, volume on the Bhagavata's visual culture, uh, art history and painting and scrolls uh, with some contributions from really fine scholars, both seasoned scholars and emerging ones uh, that that um, study the Bhagavata's artistic and uh, visual contribution, which is impact, which has been quite significant um, over time. So that I just wanted to highlight that as as one area that has been um, uh, quite promising and, and interesting. I, I think it, it, it'll be a subject of one of these podcasts in, in the years to come. Fascinating. Certainly, if there's work being produced, by all means, uh, send it, send it, put it on my radar and we'll certainly cover it. Um, regarding the selected readings, tell us a bit about the process for that. What was the selection process like? Uh, what was the translation process like? Uh, what what did you use as your source text? You know, memories from from someone telling you the story or particular manuscripts <laughs> or, you know, all of those questions answer now. No, <laughs> as you'd like. <laughs> uh, regarding selections, because indeed uh, it is selected readings. Our first principle was we want to uh, we want readers to be able to uh, experience something from each one of the twelve books of the Bhagavatam. Uh, we we saw that the the general tendency is when someone looks at the Bhagavata, they jump to the tenth book. Um, but there's, you know, just so much there in all twelve books that uh, we felt let us let us uh, make that av available. Uh, the next step was to select from within each book, and I remember a, a friend of mine who knows the Bhagavatam very well um, has been reading it most of his life. He said, what? You're going to take extracts from the Bhagavad? <laughs> you can't do that. You can't extract something. Uh, it's complete. You have to take everything. Uh, and, <laughs> and this kind of prompted us then to think, well, actually, that's true. Um, but again, the publisher is going to give us X number of words total 
to to publish. So how actually we were able to push that uh, a little bit from a hundred thousand words to one hundred and twenty thousand. Uh, but maybe we can actually give, in some sense, an entire Bhagavata Purana by having selections, uh, uh, translation, one one verse or stanza after another uh, for perhaps a whole chapter or part of a chapter. And then we can make connecting um, paraphrases of, of the sections that we are not translating. So that's what we did. We, uh, we feel in that way that, of course, we would like that a reader after reading this would say, okay, now I want to read the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, to give them as much as we could in this um, publishing context, this is what we decided. Um, we had other criteria. Again, we wanted to make it accessible. We wanted, and, there, and we wanted it to be um, interesting. What are the what are the most exciting narratives? What are the uh, most pithy expressions of the theology and philosophy of the Bhagavata? Um, like that, we 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 and we discussed back and forth. Hmm. Uh, maybe you want to add to that, Rami. Yeah, just just one other thing that was a criteria was that we wanted to uh, select those sections of the Bhagavatam. <clears throat> Excuse me. We wanted to select those sections of the Bhagavata that um, were were important to the traditions that hold this text sacred, right? So, what are those narratives that are told over and over again that are uh, that are particularly um, what are those narratives in which the commentators revel and uh, really um, show their full colors? And, you know, some narratives like the the Prahlad story and the Dhruva story are obvious examples and others are less well known. Um, but we really tried to say, how, what does the text look like today and historically to the traditions that have held the this work as sacred um so that was another criteria in in terms of your your question raj the other part of it about the um the translation method how how we went about it i i think translation um is often thought of as some kind of um um balance formulaic yeah yeah like you're you're well yeah you know you you kind of have on the one hand translations that are really uh, close to the original in terms of grammatical structure and in terms of its, um, you know, word meanings and so on. And then you've got those renditions that are loosely translations. They're, 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 they're poetic expressions of uh, the, 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 the quality of the text. We really, um, we, we didn't want to be on one of those extremes. The former, uh, doesn't really help in terms of making it a work of literary quality, which we wanted this text. We wanted people to enjoy reading it. And yet we wanted it to be tied close enough to the text that we it can genuinely be considered a translation. And so sometimes when we think of translation, uh, we think of it as kind of a balancing act, as a 
as a tightrope between opposing forces. Uh, there's the literal versus the metaphorical, uh, the, the formal versus the colloquial, uh, maybe uh, grammatical structure uh, versus poetic fluidity. Um, sometimes we think of, should the meaning be based on scholarship or based on the tradition um, and the traditional meanings that have been passed down through commentary? So there's often these like opposing poles, opposing forces that that you try to navigate. Um, and and we decided to, to kind of take things a little bit differently. Uh, this really came from the fact that this was a collaborative translation. Each one of us uh, reviewed and, and worked on every section of the text. There was a primary translator, um, so about half and half. I did uh, was a primary translator for some sections, Kenneth for other sections. But then we got together and we looked at each each other's and really kind of, I, I remember those very uh, pleasant weeks that we spent together um, uh, working our way through the text, struggling with it, and, and we really tried to think of our work as translators as, in some sense, an act of teaching, translation as an act of pedagogy more than anything else, right? That we here we are trying to, what does a teacher do in the classroom? You're essentially taking your subject matter, which is inaccessible to your students, and presenting it in a way that is A, authentic and um, accurate, but also that is relevant to your students so that they don't fall asleep in your class and they they stay engaged with the subject matter. That's what a translator is doing, right? And this goes back to your earlier point about accessibility, that a, an act of translation is primarily an act of teaching, which of course is works really beautifully with the Bhagavata itself, because the Bhagavata is a text of of teaching. It's conversation. It's a, it's a collaborative work by its very structure, right? As as the Puranas are in nature. So our collaborative work here, uh, Kenneth and I, it in some sense um, recreated it. It uh, it mimicked the structure of the Bhagavata itself. There are a number of beautiful themes to my mind in what you've said, and one is the the, the primacy and the power of dialogue of 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 collaboration that is not just um and is not just operant in 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 your mode of translation but it's the very foundation of the ethias purana there's always a question or always an answer if you will expositor as i think of it and i quite love this idea of translation is teaching you know there are so many different aspects to what this guy named raj does he's sort of an academic he's definitely an academic but uh, he's uh, theoretically independent although probably more connected than most props ever will be and there are all these other entrepreneurial pieces and so who knows what to put on the business card you know podcaster you blah 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 online teacher blah 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 tutor chs who knows it took a long time for for this dude named Raj to realize that uh, teaching, 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 and everything's teaching. Publishing is teaching. Podcasting is teaching. Um, uh, life coaching is teaching. It took a long time to realize that, and I love, I love. I'm currently, I've had a translate, a brand new translation of the Devi Mahatmya parked on my desk for the better part of a year. Part of it's bandwidth. And I think part of it is procrastination due to anxiety, I think, unconsciously about <laughs> there are going to be decisions made. And without question, it's so critiquing is for, for intelligent people, critiquing is easy. You know, 
fault finding is easy and yeah. of course they'll be like oh you know you didn't you, you know you didn't translate this you know this word is not there or you said uh, you know you know you use devout disciples for the alliteration in english but there's no word devout there but that's just, you know blah 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 uh, <laughs> and so you it's you open yourself to critique the more accessible and the, the extent to which you want to translate the sense as you feel it but having said that um uh, to my mind, uh, translation is more than the grammar and the words. You have to convey something of the energy, the tone, the you, the feel. You must, you must, even at the expense of the odd grammatical infelicity in the eyes of the diehard grammarians. Um, so, so yeah, that really, what you're saying really resonates. That's good. Um, I, I wanted to jump in to say, um, Ravi, you you mentioned us working together through uh, through translation, but you you used the word struggle. We would we would struggle uh, with with the text sometimes, um, but it was, if anything, it was um, it was great attention. It was a. Not even tension. I don't know. Sometimes it was more like a dance. I would say, <laughs> and we would we would sort of bandy about different different ways of uh, expressing something, and sometimes we we didn't have it settled um, in one conversation, but then the next time it became clear. So uh, yeah, I want to underline this uh, for your. Uh, for your listeners who are thinking to do a translation project, find somebody that you can work with, uh, collaborate with someone. It'll also help to keep, uh, you just were saying you have something on your, you have the Davy. Uh, I, I have I, I have a brand new translation of the Davy Mahatmya that's been parked Mahatmya. on my desktop on your for, desk. for nearly a year, I just That's have to go back and do some nerdy work. Yeah. So you have to have a collaborator to push you. And then that collaborate, and then you push the collaborator. And this way, uh, you get something done. Uh, I I just, I, 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 I love what Kenneth is saying. And, and, and you, Raj, I just want to highlight how much in the humanities, particularly, we we our model of our, our mode of operation is the lone scholar in 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 their in their study you know in the in the ivory tower in their um, very serious study <laughs> yeah in their very serious study and 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 no one knows what's going on in the depths of their mind until it comes forth in this brilliant tome that very full flesh like athena from zeus's head yes <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I think I think this this might be something that we can learn from the social sciences and the natural sciences that collaboration is it, it doesn't take away anything it it adds and it's it's more than the sum of the parts it becomes something you know and and it's it's like you said it's something we can learn from the Itihasa Purana tradition itself which is inherently mm collaborative uh in in nature in in the wits in its way if it's any help to you raj or to other listeners i i wrote an article about our translation method um and the dance that kenneth is talking about it's called translators troubles seeking a method that suits the bhagavata purana um, it was published in the international journal of uh, hindu studies 
in in uh, back in 2018, and and we we really in this article based on our experience, um, I really try to push this mode of collaborative translation as well as translation as an act of teaching. Beautiful. Well, we'll certainly include links for um, both volumes, uh, links for the OCHS project, and also a link to the uh, IJHS article as well. Um, Is there anything else uh, about either project that you hope to be touch on before we close today? I'll just mention that uh, as, as one potential direction of expansion that uh, we started talking about with uh, one scholar. We we haven't gone yet beyond the talking stage, but uh, we would like to create a wiki of the Bhagavata, um, like Wikipedia. Um, the, one can do wikis of all sorts of things, and why not a wiki of uh, the Bhagavata Purana? This would eventually include all the names uh, in in the work, um, all of the places, uh, all of the uh, all of the narratives, perhaps in summary, um, and I think a, a huge area that this could develop into is what are the uh, connecting points to other Puranas? What are the connecting points? Uh, to the itihasas, the epics, and, you know, all the way back, uh, the Rig Veda and so on. So that's, you know, I don't know how many lifetimes. I'm, I'm sort of just mentioning that in the hopes that it's actually going to happen and someday we'll be able to say, here it is. I would also just add, uh, if I may, uh, because you, you said you'll add some links, you could add a link to our project website, uh, bhagavatapurana.org. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Excellent. I certainly will add all of the links mentioned. And uh, I... I, it's great that you you've put a a call to action for grad students and potential grad students to be roped into the field of Bhagavata Purana studies. Ravi, you wanted to say something? Yeah, indeed. I I just want to say if, if there's anyone out there that's interested in collaborating on Bhagavata Purana studies, please do reach out to Kenneth or to myself, and we'd be happy to to uh, keep the conversation going, think of future projects, um, and so on. Uh, I just just from a thirty thousand foot perspective, uh, I want to say that, you know, uh, David Tracy, a, a theologian now retired at University of Chicago, he he has this great description of what he thinks of as a classic text of literature, and one of the things he says there, uh, he, he provides several characteristics, but he says that a classic is a text that always has an excess of meaning. You you can never contain it. There's no one translation, one commentary that does it all. It's always overflowing. Um, and, and for that reason, it, it uh, speaks across cultures and across um, time periods as well. And in many ways, I think the Bhagavata fits that description really well um, in terms of its effect over time. Uh, it's, it's a text that I think in 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 some ways, as 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 uh, the the twelfth 
uh, uh, chapter in our book uh, outlines in many ways was was um, uh, uh, it was received with a lot of trepidation and rejection in some cases during the colonial period in India because of Krishna and the the, the moral problems associated with this deity. And, and yet I think now it's a text whose time has come in many ways. Uh, primarily, mm-hmm. I think, uh, because of the role reversals that the Bhagavata provides in, in, in really interesting ways, the way it 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 turns even as it maintains dharmic structures it turns upside down many of those structures in talking about the power of bhakti um so there's there's um the you know children who are who 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 are wiser than their parents and uh, uh, uh wives who serve as teachers to their husbands and uh um, animals that are smarter than humans and and demons who are better than the devas, uh, and and all of that the Bhagavata does, I think, in a way that really speaks uh, to our time, and to our our um, pluralist world, and to our uh, to a world of dialogue where um, wisdom comes from many different places, and often from very unexpected places where social structures need to be questioned uh even as they are 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 maintained and preserved i think the bhagavata has provided inspiration uh for that kind of thing so just just you know from a from a from a from a larger perspective in terms of why the bhagavata why bhagavata studies now um at this moment i think i think this is a good moment for bhagavata studies and if there's anyone out there who's who's thinking about a doctoral project and needs to figure out where to go or is already done there and wants to take a turn into the world of the Bhagavata, um, please reach out. Beautiful. That's a wonderful uh, final thought. I mean, I, I mean, there's so much that was said that's too tantalizing to pass up. So just some couple of very brief remarks that that, that that definition of classic really resonates to my mind. The back of my brain, a classic is something that is uh, inexhaustibly relevant. You know, yes. Uh, trends historically or geographically, culturally, there's something about it that 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 speaks to the slow burning aspects of who we are. Um, and also, I love the idea that okay, uh, you know, this is the time. Uh, you know, sort of the yes, we 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 have we have formally shed the skin of colonial era scholarship on the Bhagavata Purana. And to my mind, finally, barely, but finally on Puranic studies at large, right? This, 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 the very genre of Purana, uh, wherein it is, I think, finally being understood that the fluidity and the, 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 the multiformity is, is not a bug, but it's a feature of, of Project Purana. And so thank you both for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you, Rad. Thank you. For those listening, we've, of course, been speaking with Drs. Ravi Gupta and Kenneth Valpi on all things Bhagavata Purana, particularly as articulated in the two volumes outlined in the podcast, outlined in the podcast notes. Until next time, keep well, keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating the power of the Bhagavata and beyond. Take care.